chapter 28. And uh, take a peek here at the word of God this morning. Hey, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer as we come to God's word today. Lord, we just thank you that we can uh, be your children, Lord. That we've been adopted. We've been brought into the kingdom of God, your sons and your daughters. And uh, you've given us full rights, Lord, full access. You're our Father. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning as we come to the word of God that we would just again in a fresh way see your love for us, that we would see your care, that we would see your heart for your people, Lord, and that, that our hearts would respond to you. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon the teaching of the word of, the word of God this morning that, um, that the written word would lead us to the living word, Jesus. And so we give you this time in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, we are back in Exodus. I know Brian took you into James last week, and we're back in Exodus. We've been going through this section of Scripture that's not always totally an exciting read when you're in your quiet time wrestling through here. You just want to kind of plow through. But we've been looking just at the detailed ways in which God established a place for his presence in the midst of his people because his desire was uh, to dwell with them, to be right there in their midst. I mean, we have more information regarding the tabernacle, regarding worship, the priesthood, and all that kind of stuff than we do in the creation account in, in the book of Genesis. And that's because in the beginning, God's, God's presence with his creation was just an established fact. It's, he was there. He was dwelling. He was walking with the midst of his creation and rebellion. Sin and rebellion destroyed that. And so in this Exodus account, what we've been seeing, just a quick reminder is this, is that God is establishing for himself a dwelling place, again, in the midst of his people. That he wants to be with them. That he wants to be present with his creation. And this is important to the Lord. And so as we go through like the details of some of these things that we've been discussing and we'll continue to go through here this morning, we do the word of God a great disservice as if we fail to recognize God wants to be with his people. You know, maybe you got up this morning and you thought, man, I'm looking forward to going to church. Maybe it was a struggle for you to get here. But you know, one of the, one of the things that strikes me once in a while, what, what grabs my heart, maybe when I'm going to church or going to get up and have my quiet time in the morning is to think, hey, you know, the, the Lord is looking forward to this time more than I am. He's jacked up. He's ready to go. He wants to have relationship with me and communicate with me. And God's presence dwelling in the midst of his people was very important to him. And so, you know, we've discussed all these things through the book of Exodus here. As Once we got through kind of the narrative account of what happened as the details were given to Moses on top of the mountain. We've discussed, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the golden lampstand. You know, we saw the details of this tabernacle structure, this tent that was 15 feet wide and 45 feet long. And in the back of it was this room, the most holy place. And on the outside was a, a bronze altar on which the sacrifices uh, were offered. And then the whole thing was surrounded with this courtyard, 75 feet by 150 feet and this dwelling place, this tabernacle, this tent where God's presence was to be was right in the midst of the entire camp of Israel. All of the tribes were 
their, their dwellings were built around this tabernacle place where God's presence was. Now, as we've been going through this and we've been getting this description, we've, we've seen that God has been describing the tabernacle from his perspective. He starts from the inside out, the Ark of the Covenant, and he makes his way out. And now we've come to a place where he's got that all established and he's going to start to talk about man coming back in to him. And so now he's going to speak from man's perspective. You know, I think about this, I, I just think, as we begin to crack in this, mor- this, this morning, we're so fortunate that we live on this side of history, on this side of the history of the cross, where, you know, by faith we look backwards at the work that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross so that we ourselves become the temple of God, the dwelling place, the tabernacle where the Holy Spirit dwells and lives. His spirit living in us. He fills us. He baptizes us. He empowers us to serve him and witness for him. But here we're looking at people who were on the other side of history, on the other side of the cross, and God's dwelling place for them was not inside of them, but it was in a tent that was amongst them, in their midst, the tabernacle. And so as the Lord begins to describe how a man comes into his presence, one thing we have to notice is this, is that it wasn't open to all but that it was singled out for one man. Only one could come into the presence of the Holy of Holies, the high priest. And so the Lord begins describing how a man comes back in by talking about the clothing. And so, uh, you know, I think, well, the awesome thing about this is we read this, of course, is that we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. And as we go through this Exodus, again, the story of Exodus, once again, we get a great sense of the ministry of Jesus as we study the high priest. So we're going to just go through this chapter fairly quickly this morning. But uh, let's check it out. Verse 1 says this. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So four sons, Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his four sons, and we know eventually Nadab and Abihu, these oldest two, were were killed in the presence of God because they came in and they offered unauthorized worship, unauthorized fire before the Lord, and they were dishonoring the Lord, and the Lord struck them down. So it's the third son, Eleazar, that's going to eventually become the high priest after Aaron. It's going to be handed down to him. But what I want to point out to you in this first verse, just as we begin to talk about the high priest, was this, uh, the priority and the direction of his ministry. The Lord says they're to serve me as priests. They're to serve me. See, the high priest didn't minister for the people, but he was to minister to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord. You know, that's what we're called to. You know, we're called to be ministers for the Lord. We, we say, well, you know, uh, everyone's a minister. We're all ministers. Ministry is not just regulated for, you know, the professional uh, pastor. We're all ministers, those who follow God, called to serve him. And the direction of our ministry is to be the same. We minister to the Lord. You know, I read in my quiet time this morning in Matthew, you give a cup of water in my name, Jesus said. I thought, wow, you know, whenever I think about that text, I always think I'm ministering to someone else. And I forgot, no, 
It's actually ministry to God as I minister to others. And so, you know, the reality is, is we can do ministry anytime, any place, anywhere. You can be a minister to the Lord. In your car as you're driving, you can worship. In your workplace, in your home, wherever it is. The Apostle Peter actually identified for us, he said this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession that we should proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so our ministry is not for the Lord, but to the Lord. You know, even as you, maybe you were to take on a sponsorship this morning and grab a compassion child and take on that commitment. You know, even more than you're ministering to that child, you're ministering to the Lord as you do that because his heart is for the orphan and the widow. Verse two says this, you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and beauty. So now what we're gonna see here is these high priest garments. What, we, what I wanna point out as we get rocking here is that they're made out of the same material that the tabernacle was made out. So there's a direct relationship between this place and the man that serves there. You don't, you don't separate that. The tabernacle and the ministry of the high priest. It says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of and they that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate for him my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make the holy garments for Aaron your brother and for his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yons. All, all those colors, symbolic of things as we've talked about. The gold deity, blue heaven, the purple royalty, scarlet, the cross. And it says, and fine uh, twined linen. So pretty awesome that God in his grace says, I'm going to do this. I've given people skill and I want them to serve me with their skill. And what skills have you got? What skills have you got? God gifted people with skills here, we read, to supernaturally serve them, to serve him in an assigned task. You know, uh, he, he gave them a spirit of wisdom, it says in other translations, so that he could do that task for them. Brian, should I move back? Yeah, okay. It is in my, oh, it might be. That's why we're getting static. No, it's not. I'll just move back right there. You know, I was listening to Joel this morning. The skill of a musician, you know, he developed that playing and practicing and, and honing that skill, but the reality is it's a gift from God. He's serving God with the gift that he's been given. Taking it and using it for the Lord and for the kingdom. You know, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what a beautiful thought here that God gives his people wisdom and he gives them skill to be ministers to him. And we recall the very calling of Moses. The first thing the Lord said to Moses, what's in your hand, Moses? What, what have I gifted you with? Lay it down before me and begin to serve me with it. And the amazing thing here is that we see that God gives his people in, in unique ways. Unique practical ways. Here it's like the making of garments, really? Yeah, 
God gave wisdom for that so that he would be honored. Or later in the Bible, you see the fashioning of different worship items, building things, altars, skills to build the temple that God gave those things. And so he gives certain individuals skills here and they're going to make for the Lord garments and they're going to make a, a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. Verse 6 says, And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, of fine twined, twined linen, skillfully worked. So uh, these garments we're going to see here are made of the same materials that were made for the entrance into uh, the courtyard into the holy place, into the, the veil that separated the most holy place. The priest's garments are made out of the same sorts of things. And the ephod, this first thing that we're, we read, we think, well, what the heck is an ephod? An ephod was a, a sleeveless garment, two pieces of cloth, one down the front, one down the back. And we're going to read here that they were fastened together by these stones that were set on his shoulders in gold. And uh, so let, let's read on here. We'll read it some big chunks. Verse 7 it says, It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two, two edges, so that, it shall, so that it may be joined together. And, skillfully, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine uh, twined linen. I, I like trip over that twined word. Like I don't know what it is. You've got to trip over something in this description. Verse 9. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone. Brian, you can flash that picture up there if that's cool. Six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. Verse 11. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as the stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. So these two stones are placed on the shoulder. They're all set in gold. They hold this two pieces of garment together making this ephod that goes over the high priest. Inscribed on the shoulders of the high priest and on these stones are six of the sons of Israel on one shoulder, six of the tribes, and six on the other shoulder. And you know we remember that the high priest. As he came into the presence of God. He represented the people of God. The, the nation of Israel. And the picture is this. As he is on their shoulders. That he is to bear them in his strength. That with his strength. He carries their interests. He carries their sins. He carries the sorrows of an entire nation. He was there before the Lord as a representative of the entire community. You know, they think of the shoulders. The shoulders are a place of strength, aren't they? I think of Jesus who stretched out his arms on the cross and he bore the sins of the world, the weight of sin on those strong shoulders. You know, the New Testament tells us that like a high priest, that we're to bear one another's burdens. We're to help each other carry our burdens. You know, Jesus spoke about 
the Pharisees to his disciples, the hypocritical Pharisees, and he, he said this, they preach and they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move a finger to help. You know, Jesus did some heavy lifting on our behalf, didn't he? He bore my sin. He bore our sin. And he calls us to bear one another's burdens. A great way to do that is the place of prayer. You know, I love Wednesday night. We, just, we come on Wednesday night when we don't have our koinonia groups happening and when they break in three weeks for the Christmas break, we'll be here every Wednesday night for an hour of prayer. And you know, we always start by sharing our burdens and then we begin to pray. And there were answers this week. Heard answers to prayer even last night as we bore one another's burdens on Wednesday night. Lift one another up in prayer. It's a great way to carry one another's burdens. Now attached to this garment, the ephod was a breast piece. Let's read it. Verse 15. You shall make a breast piece of judgment. Or decision. You could say this. Instead of judgment, decision. So this breastplate is going to be used to determine the Lord's leading in given situations. Okay? So it's, it's for making decisions. So you shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it. Of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns. Fine twine linen. You shall make it, verse 16, it shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. So a span is, you know, like hand width here. It's a square on his chest. And we read here that as this breast piece was placed together, it was doubled over. What that means is that there was a pocket in it. Okay, there was a pocket and something, we're going to see something was placed inside of that pocket. But first we're going to get this description of the outside of it, verse 17. You shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardis, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jack, jacksonin? I don't know. An agat, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets. Each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. So on this breast, please, 12 stones. They're set in four rows, three across for a total of 12. I don't know what some of these stones were. We just, we read this and we go, okay, these are precious stones. They're valuable. They're things of beauty. They have different colors in them. And inscribed on each one of them was one of the names of the sons of Israel. So not only did the high priest therefore bear the names of the sons of Israel on his shoulders, but he also bore their names over his heart. Let's read on. Verse 22. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. You shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree. And so attach it. You're getting this, right? You're totally getting this. I know it. And so attach it to the front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Verse 26. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at two ends of the breast piece on, the, on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach it to the front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod as its seam above this 
as it seemed above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its two rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. Now, like I said, you got that, right? <laughs> now, all he's describing there is how that breastpiece is attached to the ephod. And you, know, you have to think about this. I mean, I, I, let's think about the details here. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai in the presence of God. He has seen heavenly realities and he is describing for us what he has seen as heaven has come down to earth. He's passed through the barrier. He is present with Jesus and he has seen these heavenly realities and he is describing them so that they would know what to do. Verse 29 says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them, bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So like I said, Aaron, not just on his shoulders has the names of the 12 sons of Israel, but he is also bearing them on his heart, over his heart. Now again, the shoulders teach us that, that he was to sustain them with his strength. The breast piece teaches us that he was to love them with his heart, with tender compassion. Doesn't that remind us of someone? Jesus, who not only bore our sins on his shoulders, but he loved us. He so loved us with tender compassion. You know, think about Jesus and, and what you read in the gospel, it, and it talks about his compassion for his people who were like sheep without a shepherd and how his heart broke for them. He loved them and he loves us. You know, Jesus never forgets us, never. Never does Jesus forget you. I can tell you something about Jesus. Jesus holds you close to his heart. You are held right close to his heart. Even engraved you in the palm of his hand. You know, I, was, I, was, I was with my wife yesterday and she had this shopping list, ink written on her hand. She says, here's my list right, oh, that's kind of rubbing off. I'm losing the list. He didn't write your name with ink on his hand that could be, he didn't pencil you in to his, he engraved you in the palm of his hand. That's love, permanently engraved. You know, Isaiah said, can a mother forget her nursing child? Would she have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then he speaks of the Lord and he says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. See, Jesus, our great high priest, holds us close to his heart. I would say this, as we read this, he views us as precious stones, his gems, his rubies, his precious possessions that he keeps close to him. Did you know that? Did you know that you are Jesus' treasure? That he treasures you in his heart. He holds you close to his heart. You know, right, right now, I would say this, for sure, you can know this. Jesus is thinking about you right now. In all of history, there is no one that Jesus loves as much as he loves you. 
He holds you close to his heart. You know, I think about that. I think about this picture of the high priest and Moses up the mountain. He's seen all these things and he's getting this picture of God who holds his people close to his heart. And down the mountain at the bottom, there's this whole other scene going on, isn't there? He has no idea about. Down at the bottom of the the mountain, while God is revealing his great love for his people, what are they doing? They're piling up their gold and they're fashioning and an image of a golden calf and they're going to bow down and worship this false idol. You know, the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I was fashioning my golden idol, my things that I bow down and these false things and Jesus loved me and he died for me. You know, every once in a while, I turn and I bow down and I worship other things. And yet all along, he treats me as his treasured possession. He holds me close to his heart. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now the pocket in the breast piece, what goes there? It says this, verse 30. And in the breastpiece of judgment, remember, this is for making decisions. In, in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So the breastpiece uh, repeated the symbolism of the shoulders, the names on the shoulders, the names of the people of God on the heart. But then internally it had this other function where it contained these two things that we read are called the Urim and the Thummim. And we read here that the priest was to make judgments, to make decisions uh, based on these things. It was called the breastpiece of judgment. So the question is, what's the Urim and the Thummim? Maybe you've read those things in your Bible and you think, what, what is that? Well, I have no idea. And that's the honest truth. You know, there's just theories out there. Different scholars suggest different things. One of the things that is suggested is that they were two stones. One white and one black. And when you ask the question of the Lord, somehow he communicated yes or no through these stones. Others suggest that they were diamonds or that they were jewels. But the belief was something like this, that the high priest would go into the presence of the Lord and before the Lord he would present some request of God on behalf of the people and the light of God's presence would somehow light up the Urim or the Thummim to communicate what God was wanting to, uh, the way that God was wanting to direct his people. Quite possibly when God would do that he would also light Certain stones on the breastpiece communicating certain things about different tribes. Here's an example. King comes to the high priest and he says, should we go to war against the Philistines? The high priest says, let me consult the Lord. He goes into the holy place. He pulls out the Urim and the Thummim. He prays. He asks God on behalf of the people and the light of God's presence lights up one of these stones. Let's say it was a yes. Or diamonds. Yes, do it. Then the high priest says, Lord, who should lead us into battle? 
And the light from God's presence lights up the stone for the tribe of Judah on his chest. And he says, okay, Judah will lead us into war against the Philistines. It's it's an awesome picture. Could you imagine having that kind of access to God that you could go and ask questions like that and you'd just light those things up and boom, you'd get this direction. Doesn't that sound awesome? You're like, God, who should I marry? You know, should I take that job? Should I move? Lord, green or blue underwear? I don't know. I don't know what you ask, God, but you ask things. But here's the problem we see in this. There's a problem. As wonderful as it is, there's a problem. And it's this, limited access. Because only one man had this opportunity. Only one man could do this on behalf of, not, not every day people like you and I could go do this. And I mean, imagine for a moment that you lived in the Galilee and the tabernacle or the temple was then in Jerusalem and you had some important thing that you needed to ask the Lord. What are you going to do? Pack up and leave your farms and your crops and your family and travel to Jerusalem to ask the Lord certain questions and hope that you might have access to the high priest so that he might give you the chance to actually ask the question to get the direct. You see the problem? Limited access. Limited access. But thank God, we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the veil was torn in two, the access has been opened and it's not limited. The Lord says, the word of God tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace and to ask for help in our time of need. And God will give us wisdom. He will teach us what to do. He will give godly counsel. You know, I was thinking about that. How awesome. I don't need stones because I have the spirit. I don't need gems because I have the spirit. And, and the apostle Peter actually says something very fascinating. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, we are living stones. You recall that passage? We are living stones because the spirit dwells in us And we can go before our Father in heaven and we can ask him for wisdom and direction and by his grace. He teaches us and he speaks to us. He guides us through his word. We can get the counsel of godly people. We are living stones. And we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. Verse 31 says, You shall make the robe of ephod, the robe of the ephod of olive blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it. Makes sense. You got to get it over your head. With a woven binding around the opening and like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. So while the high priest performed his ministry, one of the pieces of clothing that was upon him was olive blue. Kind of see that half shot there underneath there. Olive blue. We've been reminded as we've been going through these texts that blue is the color of heaven, eternity. And what that tells us is this, is that that priest was to always have the perspective of eternity. The, the, his mind and his ministry set on things that were eternal. Things that were going to last. He was to be a heavenly minded and focused man. Verse 33. On its ham, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its ham with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. 
And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And listen to this. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. What a neat thing. That's huh? like jingle bells all year round when he's walking around. Okay. When he comes in and out. And it says in this. And at the end of verse 35. So that he does not die. What an interesting thought. He needed to make sound so that he would not die. Interesting picture here of the pomegranate and the bell interspersed all the way along the hem of the robe. Of course, the bell making noise speaks of us being a witness for Christ. We're to make noise for Jesus, people of God. Tell people about Jesus. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Witness for Jesus. Beside each bell on either side of it was a pomegranate. It's a fruit. Let your lives produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it speaks of those kind of, uh, yeah, spiritual fruits. You know, my f- spiritual fruit complements my witness. You know, what if I'm all fruit and no witness? Or all witness and no life to back it up? You got to have both. The bell and the pomegranate. The witness and the fruit. Paul said this. He said, I can have all the gifts, but if I lack love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. I can speak with tongues of men and angels, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And so the fruit of the Spirit is to complement my witness for Christ. It's interesting that he just made sound wherever he went. You know, I just... I wonder if we could see like spiritual heavenly realities, the kind of noise our life makes as we walk around this community for Jesus Christ. What did, what did the bells tell? What did the fruits speak of? Of course, the tradition became in the time of Jesus that when the high priest, it says here that he'd make noise so that he would not die. I think before I even talk about the tradition, I just think of that. I think, man, you know, When my life is not making noise for Jesus, I begin to die. I make noise for Jesus. The the tradition became that they would attach a rope, right, to the ankle of the high priest so that when he went into the most holy place, if the noise stopped happening, they knew he'd been struck down before God and they could, nobody, nobody wanted to go in there. They could drag him out so that uh, everyone else was, safe. Verse 36. You should make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holy, signet holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So again, we just, we just see he's, he's got this turban on and on this turban is a golden plate and inscribed on it, it says, holy to the Lord. What does that speak of? It speaks of the, the types of thoughts and thinking that were to govern Aaron, the high priest's mind. You know, think of Jesus, our great high priest. Holiness was in his thinking. Holiness to the Lord was on his mind. His thinking was not corrupted like my thinking. 
His thinking was not corrupted like your thinking with sin. He had a whole mind and all of his thoughts were towards God and honored the Lord. You know, imagine, we know that our thoughts direct our actions. And imagine having a mind so given over to God that it's completely holy like Jesus. You know what happened to Jesus? With a life like that, man, people followed him. With a simple invitation, men left careers. Leave your nets and follow me. Done. (laughs) Zealots left their politics. Tax collectors left their money. They left everything to fall. He, he was contagious. You know, there's been some sickness going around a little bit. Some of the kids, right? Things like, it's like measles. To pass on measles, you first got to be infected with measles. Jesus' life was infectious with the presence of God and others wanted it. They wanted it. There was a quality and an attraction about Jesus because he was holy His life was set apart. His thinking was set apart uh, uh, for the purposes of God. Verse 39 says, you shall weave the coat, the coat in checker work of fine linen and you shall make the turban of fine linen and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. So the rest of these few pieces, not a lot of details I want to point out, but I will point out this. It was fine linen. You get those, you know, nice Egyptian sheets, cotton, this was fine, high quality linen. You know, the, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified, the soldiers cast lots for his garments because he wore a garment like this, a, a, a priestly undergarment, fine linen. And the fine linen speaks of righteousness. It speaks of the righteousness of Jesus. You know, uh, Pontius Pilate came and he interrogated Jesus and after he had interrogated, he declared to the crowd, I find no fault in him. There's no fault in this man. He was perfect, he, perfectly righteous. He was perfection personified. And in this description of, of the priest, the next thing we read is how Aaron's sons were to dress. So here we have the high priest, but now how were Aaron's sons to dress? Because they were linked to the high priest's family. And I just think of us. See, we have been brought into the family of the high priest. We are sons and daughters of the king of kings. Heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so as we read this, I think we can make the application here to ourselves of those who follow Jesus. Verse 40 says, For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. And you shall make them for glory and beauty. See, you know what, my friends? We have been robed in the righteousness of Christ. The fine white linen, snow white, pure white linen of a blood cleansed life freed from sin, washed in the blood of Jesus. See, when Jesus looks at me and when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see a life stained and corrupted by sin. That's what we think, right? Oh, God sees, ah, God sees us clothed in the white, righteous, pure work of Christ. He's given it to you and I. Robed in righteousness. 
The sash and the cap speak of the fact that we should gird up our minds. <laughs> like Jesus did. Bring our thoughts into submission to Jesus Christ. Put righteousness on as a cap. Let it gird us. That we would have the mind of Christ. Verse 41 And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and his sons with him and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Verse 42. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall, this shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. And so these garments that were play, placed over their naked flesh speak of, again, that righteousness, the snowy whiteness of a pure life covered by the work of Christ. You know, as I read this, and think about where things went with Aaron and his boys and the whole history of the people of Israel. We know that this became a corrupted priesthood. That some of these men who served in this high priestly role like failed. They were failures. Uh, they were sinful. They were even wicked, some of them. Some of them were righteous in the way that they served God. But, but overall, I would call that priesthood a failure. That human priesthood. Until one perfect priest came. His name is Jesus. The perfect priest. Jesus was one in nature with those whom he represented. He shared flesh and blood with us. He was holy and undefiled and without sin. He, he was wrapped in that blue robe, so to speak, where in all things he was heavenly and eternally minded and focused. He was compassionate for his people and he still holds us close to his heart. He carried us on his shoulders and he bore his sin in his body. He was faithful in his duty. Those men, they were unfaithful, but Jesus was faithful. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17 says this. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. You know, Hebrews chapter two tells us that day after day the priests would stand in the temple and they would do the, the works of, the, of, of worship there, that they would offer sacrifices both for themselves and for the people of God and it was a, Daily, unending, year after year task for it to be done. Their work was never finished. But our high priest Jesus, he hung on a cross with our names on his heart, carrying our sins on his shoulder. He, he gave his life and as he hung there, he said, it is finished. He died and he was buried and he was raised to life and he ascended into heaven and the word of God tells us that he doesn't stand. He sat down because it's a finished work. Our great high priest. You know, this morning, I just want to encourage you. You're God's precious jewel. 
his treasured possession. He holds you so close to his heart. If only we could catch a glimpse of that this morning. I don't know what you got going on. I don't know what you have happened in your life, but I'm telling you, cling to that today. I'm the treasured possession of my great high priest, Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Joel's gonna come and lead us in a closing song of worship. Why don't you guys stand with me as we get ready to sing. You love Jesus this morning? Isn't he good? He's always good. He's, his thoughts towards you are good for hope and purpose and a future to bless you and to prosper you. Let's praise him this morning. God, we worship you. Jesus, you are our great high priest. We thank you this morning that you bore our sins in your body as you hung on that tree. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you held us close to your heart and you hold us this very moment close to your heart, that you're thinking about us. And God, I pray that we would cling to that, that we would hope in that this morning, that we would cling to the work of the cross and our identity in you. I thank you, Lord, that you have wrapped us in the robes of your righteousness. Not my righteousness, your righteousness. God, I thank you for that. I pray this morning, Lord, that we would just respond to you in worship, that we'd glorify you, that we'd love you because you first loved us. Thank you, God, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.